Blood Bond by Nick Bastin. Copyright 2019, Nick Bastin. Chapter 26, Fire and Sword. After all the commotion of the celebrations, it was surprisingly quiet as they started up the path towards the cat. Out here, the silence hung like a dampening cloud, muting man and nature alike. While they could still hear the fiddlers, they seemed a world away. They had just climbed into the cat when Gillespie saw the first black-clad figure, a masked head that quickly emerged and then retreated behind a tree. In the split second between his eyes seeing it, and his brain processing it, he felt a hard shove in his back. Something flew past his ear. Then all hell broke loose. The one black head became fifteen, as figures poured out of the undergrowth. Several of them had crossbows, quarrels thudding menacingly into the cat's bodywork. Charlie threw him onto the floor of the cat and pinned him there, while Kirsty grabbed the roll cage for dear life as Nin roared straight up the slope ahead of them. Nin did not slow or turn except to avoid the occasional tree as he climbed the steep slope, the wheels of the cat churning a path through the undergrowth and the suspension delivering a hefty whack to Gillespie's head with every bump of the rough terrain. On and on they went, climbing the hill behind Dunderav for what felt like hours. Gillespie struggled to make out what was going on. Was that a vehicle in pursuit? If only he could lift his head from the floor to see. Bloody Charlie. The vehicle suddenly lurched to a halt and Nin yelled at them to get out. Charlie rolled off, freeing Gillespie, who fell out of the back in time to see a cat crash through the undergrowth below. It was manned by four black-dressed diggers bristling with weapons. It tore up the slope towards them. Nin dived across the cab, yanking open a compartment on the passenger side. He pulled out a wicked red oblong disc and, without pausing, threw it down the slope just ahead of their pursuer. The dull crump of the explosion did not do justice to the impact on the vehicle which was lifted bodily into the air and swatted to the side, scattering the occupants across the hillside. While Gillespie stood gawping, wondering whether to run, hide or just piss himself, Nin, Charlie and Kirsty leapt on their assailants. The explosion had put two of them out of action already, lying still and spread eagled on the slope. One of the others was struggling to get up with what looked like a badly broken leg, which Charlie scissor kicked from under him for good measure, before sitting on his chest, dagger drawn. The final protagonist was flattened by Kirsty and Nin, both of whom had blades at his throat. Kirsty hissed with surprise. Graham Campbell, what the fuck are you doing, you motherfucker? I should cut your throat right now, you piece of shit. Her voice quivering with anger, fear and adrenaline. Nin smashed his fist into the man's face, splashing blood across his cheek. He gripped him by the throat. Tell us what the fuck is going on or I'm really going to lose my temper pressed the tip of his knife into the flesh of Graham's cheek just below his right eye. Graham pleaded through his bleeding lips, eyes questing from Nin to Kirsty. Please stop. I didn't know it was you. I was just following orders. We saw you take off. How could I know it was you? What are you doing by the castle? Why did you attack us? Be quick about it. Nin lifted his head to listen for other pursuit. We were ordered to surround the castle, to stop anyone from leaving and await further orders. Something big is going on. I don't know the details, but McCallan Moore is moving on the Black Tower and he means to take you down. Shit, look! Kirsty pointed down the hill towards the castle far below them. It was swarming with heavily armed black-clad men. More vehicles were arriving every moment. She then pointed at the loch. There were three boats heading towards the castle at full speed. 
each contained at least 10 men. Fuck. Nin was transfixed. It's only they heard the first gunshots. Short bursts of automatic fire that echoed across the hill. What? Why are they shooting? Gillespie shouted. I thought you said cannon was sacrosanct. Dropping Graham's head, Nin ran to the cat. He rummaged in the dashboard compartment and fished out a small pair of binoculars. Gillespie didn't need binoculars to see what had happened. The McNuttons had been caught totally by surprise. With so many people focused on celebrating, the entrance had not been properly guarded. The attackers had got in easily and had penned the McNuttons into the far corner of the outer ward under the screen. The crack of gunfire subsided. Some kind of standoff seemed to have been reached. With all the black-clad figures milling around the outer ward and the courtyard of the fountain, it was clear they had control of these, if not the tower itself. Nin rubbed his eyes. This has to be an official operation. No other possibility makes sense. McCallum Moore would never dare to move against us like this. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Kirsty grabbed the binoculars. The three boats are now beached, disgorging black-clad figures onto the shore. She tracked them towards the outer ward, but half suddenly peeled away to the outbuildings, to her office, to the gaming operation. What are they doing? Why are they trying to get in there? The figures were huddled around the door. They suddenly all stood back and there was a puff of smoke. They'd blown the door open. The figures disappeared. Oh my fucking God, they've got inside. Throwing the binoculars at Nin, she pulled out her phone and started to rapidly type, her eyes burning into the screen. Just a few more moments, just a few more moments. Oh no. What? shouted Charlie. She showed them her phone, a blank screen. They've killed the phone network. We've got no service, which means I can't change the administrator code to stop the bastards getting their hands on everything. They froze, faces white, mouths agape. Wait a moment. Gillespie fished his phone from his pocket. They've shut down your service, but what if I still have access? I am roaming, after all. Look, I still have signal on Kruchennet. You do? Kirsty said disbelievingly. Give it to me now. Grabbing his phone, she bent over the screen, tapping furiously. Each second felt like an hour as they stared at her fingers flying over the screen. Come on, you bastard, come on. Kirsty was pale, pouring with sweat from the stress. She held the phone close to her, breathing deeply. Yes, done it. She checked the screen one more time before chucking it back at him. Thank God for that. Listen, I've managed to change the code so that even if they get access to the servers, they won't be able to do anything. I've saved the administrator code and some instructions in your notes pages. If we ever get separated, they'll tell you everything you need to know. Don't fucking lose it, okay? Gillespie nodded, slipping the phone into his pocket and buttoning it carefully. In the meantime, Charlie scooped up the weapons and threw them into the back of Nin's cat. Then stood over the unconscious and injured Campbells to make sure they didn't radio for help. As he did so, something caught his eye. He pointed at a small drone the size of a flying tea tray, with roaches at each corner that were slowly working its way up the hillside. Uh oh, I think we have company. Chapter 27 The Black Tower Burns. Alan Stewart held onto the grab rope with one hand while shielding his eyes from the glare off the surface of the loch. The boat was moving fast now, cutting through the water at maximum speed, shadowed on either side by the other two boats. The harbour of Inverary flashed past on the left, a blur of white. Ahead, he could see their destination, nestled under the lee of Benbuya. His face was set in a grim half-smile, as if he was only half looking forward to the blood and chaos he knew was being unleashed ahead. He loved these moments, 
the thrill of not knowing how carefully laid plans were going to unfold. This is what it was to be truly alive. Nothing existed but this moment. He exulted in that feeling. He had sucked on the teat of John Lamont long enough to know to enjoy these moments when the leash was slipped. The shingle crunched under their bow and the company spilled onto the beach. Running up the shore, they pulled out their masks and moved towards their pre-assigned targets. He took 15 hand-picked members to the gate in the castle's outer ward, pushing past some of the Campbell force that were milling around the doorway. They glanced at him and his team, all dressed identically in black, with a dark green and blue panel of Campbell tartan on the inside of their forearms. They waved them through. Inside the outer ward, the Campbell force stood with guns drawn, keeping the crowd of McNuchtons pressed against the far wall where they skulked in a sullen, dishevelled state. He noted that most of them didn't even have their traditional weapons with them. After all, they'd been coming to a celebration. A few bodies lay in the open ground, some of which were still groaning. Ignoring them, Alan led his team down the corridor into the courtyard of the fountain. There he found Niall and Archie Campbell, the leaders of the Inverary force, standing outside the door into the tower. Alan eyed Archie Campbell warily. He was one of McCallan Moore's most trusted men. As Curry Moore, a legendary fighter, he had to watch him carefully. Niall was fingering his long blonde hair, unfazed as Alan approached. Pistol in one hand, sword in the other, the Campbell panel continuing to work its magic. Alan took off his mask. That did take Niall aback. Stupid twat. What the fuck are you doing here? he asked, staring wide-eyed at Alan and his men. Special orders from John Lamont, Alan said. He and McCallum Moore have cooked this up, so we're here to see it goes according to plan. Anyway, isn't it wonderful to see the wardens working so closely together? Alan smiled his impenetrable smile, his black eyes hard and unyielding. Hmm, OK. Well, McCallum Moore didn't mention anything to me, but so be it. Anyway, the bastards got in there before we could seize the door. Can't be many of them inside, though. Should we blow it down? Alan pushed him to one side and pulled out his sidearm. He shot out one of the first floor windows and, shouting up to it, said, Alexander McNuchton, I've been sent by order of the Coralie of Chiefs of the Realtists of the Gallic Republic to bring to justice you and such of your clansmen that were responsible for an act of piracy and terrorism against our neighbour, the Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. I demand that you give us entry and that you submit. Otherwise we will start killing your dearly beloved clansmen out here until you change your mind. A figure appeared at the window above. It was Ewan. Holding his arms above his head in plain view of those below, he said, We know nothing of your charge. As you can see, we have been celebrating the appointment of our new chief. I am shocked you could denigrate such a moment with this violence. Never mind about that, said Alan. You have a choice. Either open the door under the Bratach Gyal, the white flag, so that Archie, Nile and I can enter and speak with you face to face like civilised human beings, or I won't be held responsible for my actions. I'll give you the count of ten to decide which it will be. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three. At that moment, a key could be heard turning. Seconds later, the door swung open. Leaving the other clansmen outside, Alan, Niall and Archie went inside, pushing roughly past the woman that had opened the door. They ascended the steep stairs and found themselves opposite the double doors to the Red Banner Hall. Two clansmen there were shouldered aside by Niall and Archie, who opened the doors and entered the room beyond. Alexander McNaughton of Dunderav sat impassively in the high-backed chair, accorded to the chief of the clan. 
his bearing calm and authoritative. It was as if the chaos of the outer ward, the shouts, the screams and shots that could still be heard were happening somewhere else. Alan admired his sang-froid. How can I help you, gentlemen? Alexander asked, turning his gaze from one to the next, his eyes betraying no fear, his voice steady. We have been sent by command of the Council of Chiefs to arrest the McNaughton clansmen responsible for destroying a Kingdom patrol vessel in the Irish Sea earlier this week. We know they came from here, and the Council is determined to make an example of your poxy little clan, to send a message that such banditry will not be tolerated. I must ask you to surrender those responsible immediately or face the consequences. Alexander listened carefully and rubbed his white beard while he thought. After a few moments, he answered in a considered tone. Sirs, as you know, I have only just been elected chief, and I do not know what, if anything, my predecessor may have ordered or done. Under canon law, I reserve the right to address my peers in the collier, rather than have to explain the actions of this clan to you here. I am willing to come freely with you now to Oban to address the chamber. However, I must ask that you stop harassing and attacking my clansmen, who have done nothing more than be present at my investiture. I demand that you release them to go home immediately. Niall Campbell then leant forward, pointing at Ewan. This old goat will know what's been going on. Duncan didn't do anything without his knowledge. I say we take him outside and ask him a few questions. Alan nodded. Good idea, but no need to go outside. Let's just stay here where it's nice and private. Alexander did not seem too concerned. He clearly had nerves of steel. Ewan, on the other hand, was beginning to sweat, his eyes turning from one to the other looking for where the threat was going to come from first. Alan was busy making calculations, thinking about his next move. Niall leant across the table, palms flat, fingers spread, leaning into Ewan's face. So, are you going to tell us a little story? Why don't you sing us a song? Niall's irritating, arrogant whine cut the air. Alan saw his chance. As all eyes were distracted by Niall's aggressive posture, Alan reached down, and in one smooth movement drew the skin dew from his stocking and slashed at Archie's neck. He caught him just below Adam's apple, the blade biting deep, leaving a thick red streak in its wake. As Archie collapsed, jetting a gout of blood across the table, Alan brought the blade down through Niall's hand, pinning it to the table. Niall screamed. Without pausing, Alan pulled out his pistol and shot Ewan between the eyes, blowing the brains out of the back of his head. Alexander erupted, throwing the table into the air and trying to escape. He didn't get far. Alan's first shot winged his shoulder, knocking him to the ground. Alexander groped for something to defend himself, but just as his hand found the handle of his dirk, Alan put a double tap of rounds into his chest. That should take the wind out of your sails, Alan said, laughing, as Alexander writhed on the floor, drowning in his own blood. Jesus, what a mess you're all making. Niall had now regained his senses and was tugging at the handle of the knife, trying to release his hand from the table. Not so fast, you Campbell cunt. Alan picked up Alexander's dirk and plunged it deep in Niall's chest. Niall's eyes widened in horror at the hilt left sticking from his sternum by Alan's swift hand before he collapsed forward onto the table and lay still. Alan stood back to survey his handiwork. While it was true that only one was actually dead so far, the others were all well on the way. Alexander's breathing was already getting shallower, he seemed to have lost consciousness. Archie, that legendary swordsman, was trying to hold the remains of his windpipe in, 
his movements more like a dying fish flapping on the slab at every passing moment. Niall was silent and still, his hand still stapled to the oak by Alan's knife. So let's see now, what do we need to do next? Alan mused out loud. Taking his pistol, he grabbed one of Archie's still flailing hands and thrusting the index finger through the trigger, he shot Alexander again for good measure. Making sure that Archie's prints and blood were comprehensively registered on the handle, he drops onto the floor and kicks it away from the twitching figure. Can't be too careful now, can we? He whispered in the dying man's ear. Next, he pulled hard on his skin do to release it from the back of Niall's hand on the table. Niall's body, no longer pinned in place, slipped to the floor. Alan wiped the blade casually on Niall's shirt sleeve before sheathing it. Surveying the room and satisfied with his handiwork, he tore one of the tapestries off the wall. The ancient threads were rotten and weak. So much the better. Tossing one end of it into the huge fireplace, he trailed the rest around the room, making sure it lay over the table and anything that looked flammable. The fire roared and crackled, tearing into the tapestry and burning with bright blue and green flames as it consumed it. Soon the room was well alight and Alan had to beat his retreat. Closing the double doors behind him, he swept down the stairs and out of the castle. Chapter 28 The Pursuit While conscious that they had to get moving if they were not to be spotted by the approaching drone, they were all suddenly transfixed by the sign of smoke coming from Dundarav. As the first black tendrils rose upwards, untroubled by the slightest breeze, they split and wove the air above the castle before gradually diffusing into the pale sky. These first wisps were soon followed by billowing black veils of smoke and tongues of flame as the fire advanced into the roof of the building. Gillespie watched, struggling to imagine how Nin and Kirsty must have felt to watch 500 years of history literally going up in smoke. Numb, Nin turned his head, for once speechless. Gillespie could see that there were tears running freely down his cheeks, cleaning a pink path through the mud and grime. Kirsty had the palm of her hand clamped to her forehead, her mouth agape, frozen by the horror of the moment. It was Charlie that reacted first. Come on, we need to shift if we're not going to end up like that lot down there. Look at that fucking drone, it'll be here any second. Snapping out of the spell that the smoke had woven over them, they sprinted to the cat. Kirsty climbed in next to Nin while Charlie and Gillespie jumped into the back, holding onto the roll cage as Nin raced off up the hill. They crashed through bushes and ran trees, thumping into holes and splashing across bogs. The tree cover was beginning to thin, and soon they would be clearly visible to anyone looking from the lock side below. Nin was making for the ridge line. Once on the other side, it would be much easier to shake off any pursuit. But to get to that relative safety, they had to cross half a mile of open hill along the longest of Ben Buya's three ridges. In between glances over his shoulder, Charlie gave running commentary to Gillespie on the progress of the drone. It had still not seen them, but it was advancing methodically up the hillside was now about where their encounter with the camels had been. Sure enough, it stopped, dropping down close to the ground and then regaining altitude, it started to circle faster and more widely. Trying to speak to Nin above the roar of the engine and the flying mud was difficult, but Charlie managed to signal that the drone had found the wreckage of their pursuers and was now on their trail. It would surely see them within moments. It's an observation drone, not a raptor, he shouted at Gillespie with a half-hearted smile. So no rockets, at least. Far below to their right, Gillespie could see the little hamlet of Clacken where he'd met Fiona. He hoped that she hadn't been at the investiture. 
Judging by her mood, she wouldn't have gone, but he dreaded to think what might have happened to her and Mara if she had. Ahead of them was the crest of the ridge, behind which they would soon be hidden, at least from watchers on the ground, but obviously not from the drone in the sky. They broke through the last of the tree cover and were totally exposed as they slugged up the steep hillside. The drone spotted them almost immediately and, banking hard, flew straight at them. As if realising that escape was futile, Nin pulled the cat over, leaning back to shout something at Charlie, who immediately started rummaging through the assortment of weapons they had captured off their Campbell pursuers. The drone hovered overhead, transmitting footage to its controllers down on the shore. Charlie's first shot missed the main body of the drone, passing through one of its four rotors, sending blade shards flying. This was not enough to bring it down, but it did upset its balance, leaving it seesawing wildly. Charlie didn't need a third shot, as his second bullet exploded the plastic casing of its body, destroying its operating system and leaving it to drop to the ground like a rock. Nin restarted the cat and continued up the slope, clawing his way to the crest and the relative safety beyond. Grunting his satisfaction, Charlie dropped the gun back to the floor of the cat. That was a bit of luck, just a spy drone, but obviously they know where we are now, so we'll need to be quick to escape them. Pointing down towards the lock, Charlie's finger tracked a line of cats streaming towards Clacken. See there, they're going to try and cut us off by circling around the other side of Benbuya. If they get past Invercorican to the river fine before us, we'll be trapped like rats. Gillespie nodded dumbly as if he knew what Charlie was talking about. Are we going back to Elrig? he asked, hoping against hope they could just retreat to that friendly sanctuary, away from all this madness. Charlie looked at him as if he was an idiot, his eyes flashing green to match his mood. No, I don't think that would be a good idea. Can't you see what's going on? They're burning Dunderav down. God knows what must have happened to Alexander and the others. Do you think they would have just allowed that to happen? No way. Which can only mean that we need to put as many miles between us and those camels as we can. Finally, they crested the ridge and plunged down the other side. Having left the chaos of the loch behind, the calm of the view down the hill into Glenshira was seductive. Why couldn't they just go back to Elrig? Surely they'd be safe there. Having made it to a patch of forestry that shielded them from view, Nin pulled the cat under the cover of the trees and killed the engine. Gillespie's arms were shaking. The effort of holding on to the steel frame while the cat pounded up the hill had wrung every bit of strength from them. His knees, too, felt like they'd been battered and bludgeoned. They trembled even as he tried to straighten them. He was in no shape to do anything, but doing nothing was not an option. Gillespie and Kirsty were all huddled around the bonnet, speaking so rapidly that Gillespie's Gallic struggled to keep up. In any case, they didn't seem much interested in his opinion, and he didn't feel qualified to contribute, so he kept his mouth shut. There was a hot debate as to what to do next. Nin was wide-eyed and ranting about wanting to drive straight to Inverary and putting a bullet in Macallan Moor, while Kirsty was for going to Oban, to the Realtus, to plead for intervention. Charlie was the calmest, and having disabused both Nin and Kirsty of the wisdom of their ideas, came up with what seemed like the most sensible plan. We don't know what has happened down there to Alexander, Ewan and the rest, but the castle is burning and it doesn't look good. No one, not even Macallan Moor, would move on us in such a way, flying in the face of all canon law unless it was authorised at the highest level. Those were gunshots we heard, remember? When was the last time guns were used by one clan to attack another? 1965 or something, when the Shaws attacked the Roses at Kilravik. And look what happened to them as punishment, wiped off the face of the earth. No, this can only be a government action. McCallan Moore is much too smart to expose himself like this. If that is the case, then we need to get as far away from here as we can until it's all calmed down.
somewhere to lie low and find out what's going on before making any rash decisions. Kirsty and Nin seem to accept this logic and certainly did not offer any alternative. But where should we go? Where is safe? Kirsty asked. This whole glen will be crawling with camels in the next few hours and it's going to be dark soon. Unless someone has a better idea, I vote that we seek sanctuary with my people at Kindrochet over in the Cairngorms. We won't be looked for there and we'll be a long way from the arm of Macallan Moor. We can then figure out what to do next. Not a bad idea, muttered Nin, and we need to get away from here. He nervously eyed the southern end of the glen. What's the best route, do you think? They'll be watching the main Tindrum to Creef Wade, for sure. So it would do much better to keep up Glenshira to Dalmally than head over to Glen Orkey. But doesn't that take us too close to Rannock Moor? What about the Grigorach? Kirsty asked nervously. Aye, well, maybe we'll have more in common with the McGregors now than we did before. In any case, I don't see how we can make it across otherwise. The main road is too busy and will be watched too closely. We've probably got time to get to Dalmally before they can shut it down. Then we can strike out off-road down Glen Orkey, skirting Ben Lawyers and through Glen Lyon, turning northeast to follow the tunnel until we get to Glen Tilt. Which is as good as home and dry, Charlie said confidently. Nin looked sceptical. That's ridiculous, and totally disregards the brutal terrain, including hardly insignificant obstacles like Shehalion and the River Tay, not to mention having to cross two wades, at which point Nin cleared his throat and spat on the ground. At Aberfeldy and Pitlochry. Total madness, if you ask me. Oh, for fuck's sake, stop spraffing and let's get moving, Kirsty said. You're like a pair of fishwives, we need to get a fucking move on, now. Almost as soon as the words had left her lips, they saw the column of vehicles turn into the southern end of the glen and start a methodical sweep of either side of the valley. Firing up the cat, Nin started along the northwestern side of the ridge, jagging his way north. Gillespie could see that they'd already had a difficult choice to make. Did they go over the top of the mountain or follow it round? The former would obviously expose them to the risk of being seen, but also to the rapidly falling temperature, which they were already beginning to feel as the weak sun set. However, to descend and follow the base of the mountain would take a long time due to Ben Buia's two other protruding ridges. He guessed which route Nin was going to take, and sure enough, Nin pointed the nose of the cat up the slope and started to climb. Chapter 29 Red Mist As he left the castle, Alan pulled his mask down over his face again and gathered his men. They pushed through the milling Campbells into the outer ward. The Mugnatton men now all had their hands bound with, with cable ties and sat dejected at the far end, while the women and children had been released. Leaving the Campbells to gaze bewildered at the smoke that was now starting to pour out of the castle roof, he joined the rest of his crew at the outbuildings where they'd been at work. The building's door hung, shattered on its hinges, reflecting the significant charge required to blow it open. Inside, papers were scattered and the room was still full of acrid smoke. His men were busy taking as many hard drives as they could find, scattering paper and screens in their wake. He found the staircase which led down to the server room and descended the stairs to the air-conditioned chamber below. There were neat rows of boxes all tidily connected with cables, green and red lights winking and blinking. It was an impressive sight. It must have cost a lot to buy and to maintain. His men had smashed open a few cases and were extracting motherboards, the floor scattered with broken plastic and shredded wiring. He finally found Donna Lamont hunched over a laptop in the far corner, her face illuminated by a screen. Her pockmarked cheeks looked even more sallow in this light, and her lanky hair was oozing its way out of the hairband on top of her head. 
While personal hygiene may not have been high up her list of priorities, he knew that Donna was a hell of a hacker. She was responsible for all the IT and system technology that enabled the clan to function and fight in the digital age. Donna peered at him over the screen. Only ten more minutes. That bitch must have changed the access codes. But although she thinks she's smart, I'm smarter. Alan nodded, replying, That you are. Just get me my codes and let's get out of here. She wordlessly returned her eyes to the screen. Alan started to pour accelerant around the room, making a big pool in the middle away from the heat exchangers. After five minutes and with a shout of victory, Donna sneered triumphantly, Yes, I've done it. Now all I need to do is change the administrator passwords. If only I could see her face, a self-satisfied cow. The smirk on her face was dripping with schadenfreude. She continued to work the keyboard, reaching a frenzy of tapping, only to stop suddenly, swearing loudly. Shit! That fucking bitch has put in an extra security layer. Fuck, I can't hack it. And certainly not here. We really need to find her in the administrator codes. Without those, we can't get full control. Have you located her? No, I've been somewhat preoccupied with other matters. Alan felt his blood starting to rise. No matter, we'll find her. In the meantime, let's get out of here before those camels wake up and smell the coffee. Pushing Donna up the stairs ahead of him, he pulled a flare from his pocket. Having ignited it, he dropped it into the accelerant, sprinting up the final few steps and out of the door as the basement burst into flame. Gathering the rest of his team, he led the way back to the boats, where the rest of the crew were now in the boats waiting for them. He stepped into the water, pushing the boat away from the shingle with the satisfaction of a job well done. As they pulled away from the shore, the helmsman shouted, I've been scanning the Campbell comms channel. A party of four seemed to have escaped the castle. They caused a bit of mayhem and are currently in a cat fleeing over Benbuya. They seem to think that one of them is Ninian McNachton, and another is a woman, Kirsty McNachton. Isn't she one of the ones you were looking for? Bingo, Alan said. Take us to the head of the loch. We have some more hunting to do. Sending the other two boats back to Castle Ascog, Alan directed his boat up the loch towards Clacken. Arriving in Clacken ahead of the Campbell forces, Alan jumped ashore with his three best men hid behind the corner of one of the houses, right where the track bent around the water. Minutes later, the Campbell column arrived and started to turn the corner. Alan waited until four cats had passed before coolly stepping out and waving down the fifth and final vehicle. He held his arm out so the driver could see the Campbell tartan on the inside of his forearm. The driver duly came to a halt and wound down his window. Leaning towards him as if to speak, Alan shot the driver in the face before shooting his companion twice in the chest for good measure. His team dragged the bodies from the vehicle and dumped them out of sight behind the houses before taking off in pursuit of the other four cats. Blood Bond was written and recorded by Nick Bastin. The Reel of the Red Banner was written and performed by Ewan Henderson. This has been a Book of the Black Tower production.